Shalom, shalom, friends. Thank you for joining us. It's a delight to be here with Serena Oberstein, who's the executive director of Jewish World Watch. She has an extensive background in public service and the Jewish communal sector. She spent nearly two decades creating solutions on the local, state, and federal level in nonprofit and public sectors. As an executive advisor with Star Insights, she created infrastructure to cultivate positive social change. As the chief operating officer for Vision to Learn, Oberstein oversaw strategic growth and service delivery across 10 states and 75 school districts, equipping thousands of children in high-need communities with glasses so they can lead more successful lives. She previously worked at the Southern California Regional Director of Ben the Ark, a Jewish partnership for justice, as well as the founding Southwest Regional Director of J Street, Serena successfully grew the organization throughout Southern California, Colorado, New Mexico, and Arizona. Serena served her community as a policy analyst and special assistant in the Balgaros administration, where she helped shape social policy focused on education and equity. From 2014 to 2018, Serena served the LA City Ethics Commission as president and vice president. She holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science from the University of California, San Diego, and a Master in Public Administration degree from NYU's Wagner School of Public Service. She and her husband live in Northridge with their young daughters and dog, Huck. Jewish World Watch, as you many of you know, is an expression of Judaism in action, bringing help and healing to survivors of mass atrocities around the globe and seeking to inspire people of all faiths and cultures to join the ongoing fight against genocide. Just a little background here, friends, because we think it's important that our early Tzedek community knows about this important work. Founded on the shared history of the Jewish people and the principle of tikkun olam, repairing the world, Rabbi Harold Schulweis of Blessed Memory and Janice Kamen Resnick created Jewish World Watch in 2004 after learning of the ongoing genocide in Darfur, Sudan. Recalling the deafening silence during the Holocaust and the 1994 Rwandan genocide, Rabbi Shulweis taught that we must not be silent in the face of yet another genocide, that we must educate ourselves and raise our collective voices, and that we cannot stand idly by. The we at the time was the Jewish people, but since its founding, Jewish World Watch has grown from a collection of Southern California synagogues into an organization that draws support from schools, churches, individuals, communities, and partner organizations across the country, all sharing a vision of a world without genocide. Serena, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. Thank you so much, Rav Shmuley. I'm really excited to be here and I appreciate Ori Litzedek and all of the incredible work you're doing um, and to be able to partner with you on, on some of the, the work to create a more just world. Thank you so much. I appreciate that so much. Can you share a little bit with us, just briefly, although I know you could talk about this for hours, the state of genocide globally today and what Jewish World Watch's approach is uh, to the situation? Sure. Um, well, unfortunately, uh, there are more genocide, mass atrocities occurring now than at any time in history. Um, as you mentioned, we were founded in 2004 to uh, to address the genocide in Darfur. Darfuri refugees are still living in refugee camps in Chad, right? Because 18 years later, it's still not stable enough for them to go home. 
Um, and, and in addition, we've continued to engage in um, to fight the genocides against the Uyghurs perpetrated by the Chinese Communist Party, the genocide of the Rohingya, um, who have been chased out of Myanmar by the same coup that um, overthrew Aung San Suu Kyi. Uh, and now we're also um, working, uh, fighting atrocities in, in Tigray. Um, there are millions and millions of, you know, I think, I think the statistic is there are something like 26 million people who are refugees across the world. And many of those people um, are refugees because of the ongoing violence, because of targeted persecution based on their immutable characteristics. Wow. Wow. Um, thank you for sharing that. You know, it is so easy to make a Jewish case for this work, as you know, um, based upon our tradition and our values and our texts, based upon our history of thousands of years as Jews. And I wonder how you came to this work in your personal journey, in your Jewish journey, in your own Jewish values. There are so many important Jewish causes. Um, and and what brought you to this? Sure. As, as you... Um you shared uh, my my background. This has always been the work that I've I've engaged in. Um, you know, fighting uh, for civil rights, for civil liberties domestically. You know, I think um, we share uh, a common idea that education is a Jewish issue, immigration is a Jewish issue, right? The Talmud tells us that we have to, if, if a community doesn't have these things, we have to create these things in a community. And um, uh, this is the first time I've, I've worked in the international world. A few years ago, it felt like as anti-Semitism was on the rise and intolerance was on the rise, that our communities, be it Jewish, be it Rohingya, be it whoever, we were turning inward instead of joining together. And when I learned that uh, this position was open, it just felt like an opportunity to be a convener and an ambassador and create a coalition of people so that rather than, you know, Armenians having to say like recognize our genocide 106 years later or Uyghur people saying like we're dying bringing Jews and Armenians and Uyghurs and Rohingya and Tigrayans together to say this story is our story we know the story regardless of the region that it's happening because it is it is a Jewish story right it doesn't matter as many times as it's told this is something that we know deeply so how do we get people to move from care to action. This is obviously beyond just anti-genocide work. This is a, a larger activist psychology question. Well, let's even forget the people who don't care, right? The people who don't care, like, what can we do about that? But the people who care and they read the newspaper, they watch the news, they shake their head, but to move from shaking their head to actively wanting to respond to this, how do you think about that activist educational model uh, of mobilizing people? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, first of all, Jewish World Watch's model, the way we fulfill our mission is, it's it's threefold. It's through education. It's starting by educating ourselves about what's going on and then galvanizing people to action. Um, and we, we work with our elected officials. We make sure that not only are Jews in the room, but members of the diaspora who are most directly being affected, I think, um, and, and we we do empowerment projects on the ground. So we're talking to people on the ground who are directly affected on a daily basis. And I really think it's about amplifying the voices that are of people who are mostly 
affected. And that's how you shift hearts and minds, right? You're, you're right. Like people who it, it can be inundating, right? The, the, the problems are so big. And, and I'll say that one of the things that Jewish world watch does is we talk about what we can do rather than we, we talk about how big the problem is because context is important, but instead of talking about how many people are food insecure, it's important to know the ways that we can create food security among Darfuri refugees in Chad and make them, you know, in, in empower them to become independent and not reliant Um, talk about, the ways that we can we can empower women and and instead of talking about all the incidents of gender-based violence we are we're shifting the way we talk about things and talk about what is possible versus how how grand and knowing that you know as it as the Pirke Avod says like we're not we're, we don't have to complete the, ta the task but neither are we free to desist it's always going to exist we're always going to have to keep working yeah very powerful can can you talk about uh, speaking of the positive? Can you talk about some successes, um, some cases where global intervention, in particular from the U.S., has indeed uh, made a significant uh, difference? And can you talk about a particular failure where there has has been, or maybe even continues to be, particular um, silence or or inaction? Sure. Well, I'll talk about one of the most recent victories um, after so, so the, the crackdown, the major most recent crackdown against the Uyghurs happened right. in 2017. Yeah. And so um, since that time, Jewish World Watch has been involved in working to pass different levels of legislation, initially just getting genocide recognition. And then um, after two different Congresses <laughs> talked about a bill, we were finally able to get the Uyghur Forced Labor Protection Act passed um, through it through a bicameral and bipartisan effort in both houses. It went to President Biden's desk, and incredibly, he signed the bill. Um, uh, you know, and and that is a huge victory to ending some of the forced labor that's happening in, in Urumqi, the capital of, of the Uyghur region. Um, you know, and I, I think um, it, it's a great start. Where, where there's failure is, is over and over, it takes too long to intervene. So um, we're seeing the Rohingya people who still don't have a genocide recognition, who are living in the largest refugee camp in the world in Bangladesh, 900,000 people living in a refugee camp. Um, we see fire after fire, death after death. And um, despite the US, despite multiple communities knowing what happens, we have we fail to act, and people are still living in a state of instability, uh, and and we don't know. You know, we we work to ensure that the children that live in these refugee camps have access to an education, but but they remain unstable. They still have. There's no hope of repatriation, no hope of, of stability in the near future. What's what's the broader political context where we can make such a move on a bipartisan level in regards to the Uyghur genocide, but in others there's simply no action? Why why is it is this coming from an anti-China sentiment? Like, or, or where is this coming from? It, yeah, rationally, I mean, I I think um, I'll say that that it it definitely comes down to political will, right? Um, I think that. Uh, 
it's it's interesting with with China there there definitely is a power struggle there and so we have seen um leaders in both parties step up um to to take action we saw even the you know both both of the last two presidential administrations took action whereas we're watching um it's been over a year year and a few months in Tigray and there's been virtually no action. There are millions of people at risk of starvation, hundreds of people dying a day from famine, and we haven't done anything. We've we've passed a non-binding resolution. Um, and, and so it really does come down to political will. I, I think that in the absence of organic political will, um, people calling their representatives, making sure that they know um, that these are things they care about. These are things they vote on. These are things that they contribute to their elected officials. That that genocide um, and mass atrocities, regardless of who they're happening to, is a Jewish issue, and that this is you know that we do need to act, and and that is what pushes our elected officials when they feel pressure from their constituents. They do they do take action. You know, one of the things I, I I've heard sometimes in our community is that yes, all genocides are bad, but we should prioritize the uh, responding to those where the populations are not known to be wildly anti-Semitic. And I wonder how you respond to that, that that shouldn't be a part of the fa a factor or, or part of the equation in regards to um, in, in regards to our prioritization. I think um, it absolutely should not be an equation. In fact, most of the uh, areas that we work on are with with Muslim populations um, were, were exclusively, I mean, there's, there's nothing, it, it's not to say that we, by virtue of creating coalitions that we're not fighting anti-Semitism, but um, we don't prioritize a life based on, you know, if they call someone Adonai or the Shekhinah or, or Allah um, or, or Jesus even, right? Like, I think we, we look at there being in need. We look at the steps of genocide. We say, these people are being classified. They're being persecuted. They're being objectified. They're being dehumanized. Like, and nobody's saying anything. So we have to, and that's it. Great, great. One last question for you then. Um, in addition to people donating to Jewish World Watch, what are other ways right now that people can get involved and support the work? Great question. So um, I would say go on jww.org and sign um, a petition. Uh, right now we are working to... Um, we're working to stop uh, current sponsors of the Olympic Beijing Games, um, right? We we know that what happened during um, the Berlin Games gave Germany uh, a forum to to hide the the genocide, the the Holocaust, and or what would become the Holocaust. And so right now we need people to let their um, let Olympic sponsors know, including Airbnb, including Coca Cola, including um, Volkswagen, which uh, was founded by the Nazi Party and now has a factory in Arumchi um, and 600 Uyghur slaves. That um, we are using our purchasing power to let consumers, to let these corporations know that we don't we we fight genocide. We put people over profit. Beautiful. Serena, wishing you so much, you and your team, so much continued success in your amazing work. Thank you so much for all you do. Thank you so much, Rob, Rob Shmuley. I, I, again, I appreciate the opportunity and look forward to partnering in the future.